Hi, friend. Thanks for joining us for the Polished Arrow. The Polished Arrow is a podcast launched by Arrow Leadership, dedicated and committed to bringing you content and conversations around materials going to help both you, your team, and your organization have a more Jesus-centered approach to life and leadership. For 30 years, Arrow has been committed to this very mission. Burst out of Isaiah 49, chapter 2, we believe that leaders are like arrows, and with the right polishing at the right time, they are sent to be kingdom advancers. Thanks for joining us today. Let's hop into our conversation. everyone. Welcome back to the Polished Arrow and uh, so thankful you had a chance to be with us this day. Uh, I'm always amazed that no matter what I hear of these stories of where people have consumed this content, um, sometimes it's running, sometimes it's it's riding in the car, sometimes it's on the treadmill. Um, it's not about where you're consuming it. Uh, I pray it would be applicable uh, to your life and leadership and pursuit of Jesus. Um, and that is what matters most is why we do it. I am so thankful today to have Rich Yeager join us. So Rich, thanks for uh, being here with us on the Polished Arrow. And uh, as we say every month, this is an incredible time to meet new leaders like yourself from many different spheres uh, of just kind of joining them on a journey with Jesus. And uh, so Rich, uh, first off, just thanks for being here with us. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's honored to be asked to be here. So thank I you. I love it. I love it. And Rich, before we hop into our training today, talking about this, uh, I can't wait, the hand of God. Uh, that is what we're going to focus on for a little bit. Um, before we hop into that training, maybe just talk to us a little bit. What does life and leadership look like for you currently right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so my family and I were located in Maryland, so we are almost directly between Baltimore and D.C., so um, very fast-paced area, so that is what leadership is uh, like of trying to uh, understand what it means to live in this area, but to do that with a slow-down type of spirituality, mm -hmm. so not get caught up in the rush of culture, but to try to um, continue to pursue God and listen and quietness and be still and rest in Him. Um, so we're trying to do that in our church um, right now, and uh, we do that. Uh, I do that with my family. So my wife Carol and I have been married for going on 21 years, and we have four kids: um, Ezra, Mercy, Torah, and Judah. And so, um, yeah, just enjoying life right now. It's been I love it. It's it's, it's I, a fun ride. A fun ride. I love it. The irony. Uh, we could probably do a whole conversation on the slowing down with four kids in the home. Like, uh, that sounds oh, like, yeah. <laughs> a, that sounds like a great podcast. I would, I would listen into for sure. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And Rich, how many years you've been serving in the local church? My goodness. Um, since 2002, um, is whenever I've been a full-time pastor. So going on 20 years and, uh, all of that hasn't been at my current church, but have served in full-time ministry since 2002. I love it. I love it. Before we hop into the training, I love to ask leaders all the time. There's a lot of things you could be doing right now. Um, a lot of conversations you could be having, a lot of things you'd be doing with those four kiddos and, and with your church, yet you've chosen to take a little space to invest in leaders. Uh, their mm -hmm. leaders are going to be consuming this all over the world that are neck deep in life and leadership, trying to figure out, um, man, how to lead well, how to lead like Jesus, how to find that pace. Uh, why? Just maybe just talk to from your heart a bit before we hop into it. Why investing in a leader, in your opinion, is still a wise investment? Yeah, um, well, I think it just comes from looking back on my own life and seeing how many people invested in me. Um, like I, I am a, 
I'm a product of people investing in me. Um, mm-hmm. So from whenever I was a child, having people in my church, whenever I was a teenager, having youth leaders, and then whenever I was in seminary, my seminary chaplain just pouring into me weekly, um, and then going into ministry and just having, uh, you know, not only people in my church invest in me, but but leaders that wrote books. And so people that I never met who um, I feel like I've been mentored by them just from reading their books and just uh, listening to sermons and different things like that. So um, I'm just wanting to hopefully um, have that opportunity as well to invest in others. And I just realized the importance of, of how God has used that in my own life. So. I love it. I love it. Well, for our audience that's listening in, we often say I, my prayer is that as we listen to Rich train here in just a moment, that there'd be something in your spirit that says, man, that is so good for me. That's the word that mm-hmm. God put on my heart for me today but it wouldn't stop there. One of the goals of Arrow Leadership is that we wouldn't just develop leaders, but we'd develop leaders of leaders and that you would maybe take this conversation today, this content today, and maybe if the Lord puts it on your heart to keep it for yourself, yes and amen, but maybe there's a leadership team, maybe there's a board, uh, maybe there's a volunteer staff, maybe there's a camp staff, maybe there's somebody else that you could say, why don't we take this 15, 20 minutes here and lean into this? And that is really the heartbeat of the polished arrow. So like polished arrows, we can still be launched to kingdom advancement all around the world. So Rich, uh, thank you so much for saying yes to this moment. I'm going to go ahead and let you take it. And uh, I got a front row seat of some tickets and notes here. Thanks, Rich. (laughs) Thanks, David. Well, um, yeah, I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to just be able to share with you a little bit. And just for our time together, like Taylor mentioned, I just wanted to discuss this phrase, um, the the hand of God. And um, that's been something that's been on my heart for uh, over a year now. And I would say that it started whenever I was reading through the Old Testament last year. And I came to the book of Ezra. And I noticed in Ezra chapter seven, verse six, uh, where um, we're told this, that uh, Ezra was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. And then I came to verse nine of chapter seven, uh, which says that Ezra arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month for the gracious hand of his God was on him. And then in verse 28 of the same chapter, uh, because the hand of the Lord, his God was on him, Ezra took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with him. So so that phrase, the hand of God was mentioned three times in chapter seven, and then it was mentioned another three times in chapter eight. And then I came to the book of Nehemiah and noticed that that phrase was used in Nehemiah as well. And then later on in the year, I was then reading through the New Testament, and I came to the story of of John the Baptist uh, in the book of Luke, and then I noticed that that phrase was used again there. And uh, it happened whenever, you know, news of Elizabeth's uh, miraculous conception was being spread and and the birth of John was, was being talked about. And we're told this in Luke chapter one, verse 66, that everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. The hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And I think for me, that is where it, it just all culminated, uh, that I had 
just seen this phrase over and over and over. And then when I saw it there, realizing that everyone began to notice that God's hand was on John in a special way. And it just caused me to ask the question of what would the hand of God at work in my life look like? Uh, and, and would I even be able to recognize God's hand um, at work in my life? Would other people be able to recognize the hand of God at work in my life? So it just sent me on a journey of just exploring that phrase and trying to uh, learn uh, more about it, uh, but also to pray it. Um, so since that time, I have consistently been praying that prayer that the hand of God would be upon my family, that the hand of God would be upon my, my children, that the hand of God would be upon the lives of others that are dear to me, that, that God's hand would be at work in our ministry uh, here at our church, and that God's hand would be at work in, in my own life. So I've been praying that, but I realized um, as I've been praying that, especially for myself, that I'm typically praying that because I'm wanting success. Um, I'm wanting success in what I'm doing. I'm wanting things to turn out the way that I uh, want them to turn out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, praying for success and praying that things turn out in, in a certain way. So please don't hear me wrong. Um, I, I think it's okay to pray those things. But I think it's also important for us to acknowledge that there may be times that what I often call success might not be successful in the eyes of God. And there are also times that I'm realizing what I call failure might actually be the foundation of what God calls success. And I started um, reading a little bit by uh, Dr. Diane Langberg, and she's been just helping me gain a, a better understanding of this. And she talks about success and, and she, she says that success shouldn't be necessarily measured by achieving more or by increasing numbers or by reaching another level. But it's more important for success to be measured by what pleases Jesus, what glorifies Jesus and what looks like Jesus. So if we think about that now in terms of the hand of God at work, uh, the way to recognize the hand of God at work is not by looking at what pleases us or by what gives us the credit or by what looks more like our preferences or our plans. Um, I believe that the primary way to recognize God's hand at work in our lives is by asking the question, is what I'm doing pleasing Jesus? Is what I'm doing glorifying Jesus is what I'm doing, looking like Jesus. And if the answer to each of those questions is yes, then I, I strongly believe that we can be confident that the hand of God is at work, even if the outcome isn't what we would be anticipating or be expecting. Now, for me, I, I just find myself often believing that the hand of God, you know, if, if God's hand is at work, in my life, that that's just going to make me greater in some way. So it's going to make me greater at what I do. It's going to give me a greater position. It's going to uh, allow me to be greater in the eyes of others, you know, for whatever that may be. But but if you think, again, back to John the Baptist now, and with the recognition that God's hand was on him in a special way, John the Baptist said that, you know, he must become greater, Jesus must become greater, and 
John must become less. And so with that in mind, it seems like humility is a defining characteristic when the hand of God is upon someone. It reminds me of um, you know what First Peter 5 says, uh, that when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt us at the proper time. And so thinking about that, again, just brings questions to my mind, questions of, am, am I content with the hand of God on my life, even if it means my life goes unnoticed? Um, can I be content with God's hand on my life even if the work that I'm doing for God is largely unseen? Am I, am I content enough to know that, that our Father sees what is done in secret? Um, am I willing to rest with the hand of God upon me, even if it means the vast majority of my life is going to be just a very ordinary life, just very ordinary? So um, I, I think that, you know, even thinking about all of that, it's, it's important to, to remember that ordinary doesn't mean unimportant. Um, small acts and ordinary acts of faithfulness, God is at work in those small things just as much as he is at work in the spectacular things that we often hear of. So small and ordinary do not mean unimportant or insignificant. So that's why I would believe that, that God's hands are needed in the ordinariness of life and the mundane things of life just as much as in the spectacular things of life, because it's it's recognizing that God is at work whenever we are faithfully loving our wife or faithfully loving our husband, that God is at work when we just joyfully engage with our kids, that God is at work whenever we're folding laundry or changing a diaper for the hundredth time of the day, whatever it may be, that, that God is at work in those small things just as, as much as in uh, the big things. And he is accomplishing something in us for our joy and for his glory. So the hand of God at work, there seems to be a, a humility that's involved then. Uh, but with the hand of God at work, I, I believe that it's also important to recognize that there will be obedience involved, that God's hand at work leads to obedience, and obedience isn't always comfortable. Um, this happened, again, if we think back to the life of John the Baptist, it happened in a very surprising way for him. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, we're told this about Jesus' baptism, that Jesus then appeared arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee, and he wanted John to baptize him. But John objected, I'm the one who needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. So John was uncomfortable with Jesus's request, but because the hand of the Lord was upon him, he valued Jesus's authority over his own comfort, uh, which means that even our obedience to God requires his hand to be at work in our lives. And, and this is how humility and obedience work together. Uh, it's something that Paul Tripp said. He said, uh, don't boast in your obedience but rather bow in gratitude to the one who gives you both the desire and the power to obey. Um, so our obedience to God is always evidence of God's hand at work in our lives. And um, obedience isn't always easy, that's for sure. Um, and obedience can often be messy. 
but messy obedience is a whole lot better than comfortable disobedience. And so the work of God in our lives, his hand at work in our lives is going to lead to our obedience. Now, again, if we think about uh, John the Baptist, because John obeyed, uh, we're told that God's work putting things right, that all began to come together. But John wasn't around to see any of that happen. And the reason he wasn't around to see any of that happen is because he was martyred, uh, which when I think about that, that really seems to be a surprising ending for someone who had the hand of God upon them in a special way. Um, but Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said that for 300 years of the church's life, the single most important model of the Christian life was that of a martyr, the person whose witness was authentic to the point of death. Um, th there's a way of thinking uh, today that believes that the hand of God is equated with prosperity, that the hand of God is equated with success, that the hand of God is equated with a pain-free life. Uh, but could it be that the hand of God upon our lives is more equated with humility? It's more equated with obedience, and it's more equated with a willingness to lose our life so that we might find our life. And so God develops in us the willingness to endure a thousand little deaths for his glory rather than to live a single life for our own glory. So we're looking to magnify him more than looking to magnify ourselves. Now, I, I say all of that, I guess, with the recognition that God can choose to work however he wants to work. So God can choose to use his hands in whatever way he desires to use his hands. So God's hands at work may mean that we see incredible things happen. And, you know, we're told this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed, and a great number of people turned to the Lord. So God's hand at work may mean we see these incredible things happen. Or it may mean, like John, uh, we're put in prison and beheaded, but we're given the strength to be faithful unto death. And like the Apostle Paul, we discover that God's grace is sufficient and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Now, just wrapping it all up, I, I think that just a willingness to accept whatever God offers us from his hand comes down to just having a willingness to let go of our desire for any particular outcome. And uh, instead of attaching ourselves to a particular answer, we attach ourselves to God. And this is something that Ruth um, Haley Barton talks about. She calls that the, the prayer of indifference. Um, and she describes it like this. She says that, that being indifferent means that I am indifferent to anything but the will of God. And this carries us across the threshold between two worlds, from the world of human will and action to a world in which we are participants in the divine will that has already been set into motion. So I believe that we can do that. Uh, we can have this uh, willingness to receive from God whatever it is that he's offering us from his hands, and that we can do that in faith, ultimately knowing that we can trust that God's hands are always working things together for our good and for his glory. So that's all that I have, Taylor. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, that's just been, for me, again, just something that has just been something I've been meditating on for the past year, just trying to 
I just incorporate that into my life. So good. Just thinking through, yeah, humility, obedience, willing to do whatever. Uh, Rich, those don't sell. Uh, those don't really. No. <laughs> uh, they don't sell. They don't sell podcasts. They don't sell resources. Um, they're not exciting. Um, why do you think? Why do you think? I guess two questions I have right now as we're thinking through this a little bit. You said you're 20 years into this thing called leadership, um, mm -hmm. and you just gave a 20-minute beautiful exposition on the hand of God, but I know it's hard, um, sometimes feeling impossible. Most of our listeners right now are here in North America, where we are metric-driven, we are, we are um, uh, man, statistics matter. How do you stay personally? How do you stay grounded uh, in this? Is it is it the the prayer that keeps you grounded? Is it the discipline? What what would be your go to twenty years in the ministry that kind of goes? This helps me stay grounded, leading in North America today with this posture. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what helps me stay grounded, um, you know, maybe just a couple of things, but one is just trying to recognize what I ultimately have control over and. Um, you know, I think of our ministry here, uh, and there are a lot of things that I would like to see happen, and I would like to see some numbers look differently and some more, you know, I, I'm in charge of groups in particular and our community life, so I would love to see more leaders and more groups developed and all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't have any control over that because um, I can't make people do what I want them to do, you know, by any means. And so I just try to then um, begin to realize what do I have control over? I have control over um, going to God and prayer over these things. I have control over uh, trying to to model these things before others and and talk with them about you know the importance of it and everything. But um, but I think it's more just recognizing that um, you know that God is in control and that I need to completely lean into Him and be dependent upon Him. And the way that I express my dependence is through prayer. And and so just just trying to recognize that. Mm, so good. Uh, it's a love. I love what you mentioned it. Those questions of, does this please God, Jesus? Is it glorifying to Jesus? Does it look like Jesus as um, Dr. Diane pointed out there? And mm -hmm. like, is that something that you've just learned to quickly do in your mind? Or is that like a discipline that you've kind of learned over time as well to give a quick, a quick litmus? Can you talk to us about how you, how you practically analyze those questions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, when I think about, you know, for me, um, uh, maybe just give you the example of, of I could accomplish a whole lot in ministry um, if I was willing to be here a whole lot more, mm -hmm. um, yep. but my family would then be suffering. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say that, you know, if I created the the best uh, community group, small groups that we have and wrote the best curriculums and all of that kind of stuff. But if I did that at the expense of yeah. of my wife, Carol, and of my two sons, Ezra and Judah, and of my two daughters, Mercy and Torah, I, I wouldn't say that that looks like Jesus or mm -hmm. glorifies Jesus in any way. Um, that probably is more about my ambition and, and my desire to see things happen. Um, and so I, I think like I, I try to begin to filter things in that way. Um, that, uh, even when I work with people, you know, um, that being with people and working with people is just, it, it can feel very inefficient. Um, so I can spend two hours with somebody over coffee and, and talk with them. And, uh, and sometimes my day is spent just, I, I meet with two people because mm -hmm. it's been, you know, just, they just needed a lot of uh, attention and just needed somebody to walk side by side with them. Uh, that feels very inefficient because it feels like I'm not getting a whole lot done. 
but it looks very much like Jesus, um, who walked at a slow pace and walked beside people and and just mm. spent time with them and everything. So, mm, so good. Yeah. Well, Rich, you had some incredible I statements, you know, uh, do I believe this? Am I okay with this? And as you were talking, and maybe for our listeners here, I'm dreaming a dream of what it would look like for leadership teams and boards to change that I to a we. <laughs> are, are, yeah. are we okay with this? Are we all right with looking like this? And um, and uh, just really, yeah, that personally grabbed me um, that I need mm. to start with me, uh, but I also need to invite these questions into those that I'm leading and serving alongside. And uh, mm -hmm. it gets a little more complicated, doesn't it? When you start does, yeah. <laughs> standing out, but I think the principles mm -hmm. are absolutely tried and true there. Um, I wonder if we wrap this conversation up and, and uh, we talk a lot about the polishing principles that uh, Isaiah 49, three talks like polished arrows, the Lord sends them and there are leaders serving in all types of different spaces right now. Um, some are uh, on teams that they go, this isn't the DNA I'm part of. Like I'm in a high pace metric oriented. Uh, some are, uh, some are in situations where they're maybe even unemployed right now and they're in transition and they're in all kinds of different places going, can God still use me? You alluded to uh, some of those earlier, but I wonder if you could just say it again out loud for like what you would say to a leader that maybe in that transition season right now, I'm going, I don't even know if God's really using me uh, right now. I just feel a little bit lost. I'm trying to apply humility and obedience and willing to lose it all. I just don't know if God's hand is on me. Man, would you just talk to that leader for a second, Rich? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I, I just had an opportunity to speak on uh, Joshua chapter 3 where um, the Israelites were getting ready to, you know, cross over uh, into the promised land. Um, and, you know, so if you think about that, they were in waiting for 40 years, uh, wandering the desert. And, um, and then whenever they get to the Jordan, um, you know, Joshua chapter three, right at the beginning tells us that they had to wait even longer. You know, so they got there, they thought that they were ready to cross, and then God just made them wait even longer. And, um, and so I think it's just this, this understanding and this idea that, that God just often does call us to these times of waiting. Um, but those times of waiting um, are very purposeful in, in God's eyes. You know, he's not just looking to get us from point A to point B as quickly as possible. He's looking to form in us a, a type of character that learns what it means to, to walk with him and to wait on him and to, to ultimately trust his timing, you know, because his timing is always the best timing. Um, and then, you know, when I remember that, that, that chapter, you know, the next chapter, chapter four, they didn't cross the Jordan until the priests actually stepped into the waters, you know? And so that just reminds me again, that there are times when I do need to take a step of obedience or a step of faith, even whenever God doesn't give me any indication of how things are going to turn out, you know, so the waters weren't going to part until they stepped into those waters. And, um, and so that combination of just a willingness to wait on God and to fix my eyes upon him and then to uh, take a step of faith and trust in his sovereignty that even if it doesn't turn out the way that we want it to turn out, that he's yeah. still working and moving and forming in us the character of Jesus Christ. So. Amen. Amen. I think as Apostle Paul went on 
godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain, uh, yeah. Rich, I see uh, just the contentment uh, in you that you've exuded here today with us in this conversation. And I know that's not a contentment that's born in the moment. Uh, it's it's grown mm-hmm. and developed over time. Uh, so thanks for being a uh, thanks for being a Jesus centered leader. And uh, um, Rich, if they ever if anybody ever wanted to maybe uh, man, I want to explore more about this hand of God. Is there a, a, a simple way for them to make contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, rich.yager at grace.community um, awesome. is, is my email address. Um, that would probably be the easiest way. So yeah. rich.yager at grace.community. Beautiful. We'll put but yeah, more than happy to interact and to connect with people. It. And we love that. I love it. I love it. Well, Rich, thanks for being here. And uh, for those that that have stuck with us here, uh, as always, I'd like to say just thanks for um, saying yes to a Jesus-centered approach to life and leadership. And um, it it matters. Uh, It matters both for your story as well as for those that you're leading. And uh, so that's why we're here every month trying to continue to see what that looks like uh, in both of our life and leadership on behalf of our teams and our families and our organizations. And uh, that's why Arrow is here to partner with you. Uh, Rich, I wonder if you could just end this uh, conversation, just a prayer blessing uh, over this community today. Yeah, would love to. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, we uh, just want to acknowledge that wherever we are at this moment, that you are present with us. Um, We acknowledge that uh, wherever we are, that you are looking at us uh, with eyes of love and with eyes of kindness, and um, that you're with us, Jesus. So we we thank you for that. Um, I pray that you will uh, just continue your work in each of us. Um, I pray that prayer from the book of Ezra, that your gracious hand uh, would be upon us and that we truly would experience your hand to be gracious. Uh, remembering the words of Psalm 145, uh, that you open your hands and you satisfy every living thing. So I pray that we will be satisfied uh, with what you give us from your hands. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye for now.